0: i primals meets that of the ape men there has been a war that has raged for centuries if not millennia deep below this place deeper even than the depths and mazes of pine henge there are tunnels in the ancient ice they wither the ice begins to drip even run even vanish here and there and the rock there revealed is only one cog in some massive device built by Cyclopean ancestors we no longer know. This device is also known as the RPG Mainframe. don 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 greetings programs tanker and barnell uh welcome back to Runehammer. we're here on the pod nast and uh you know how we do it on rpg mainframe we tackle big difficult weird problems that you may or may not have been working on for the past months or years like me, <laughs> and try to provide meaningful answers and solutions to those problems, because it ain't easy being all cool at RPGs, especially over the long haul. You know, you're playing for a few years, you start you start running out of ideas, maybe your friends move away, all kinds of things can happen. Books get too expensive, systems get weird, maybe you just get plain sick of it. Well, either way, what you want to do is be awesome at the hobby right you want to come back with fervor you want to bring the heat and every once in a while you just want to get at the table and go now this is the last moment that you either want to don't have ideas not have the right system lined up not have your mechanics set up like not know exactly what's going on this is the moment when you just want to be able to go for it right it's like it's in your blood we're going to do this but sometimes that moment strikes you look around, you got a couple homies, but nobody really wants to be the GM at all. Y'all just want to kind of play together. You played every board game on the shelf. You kind of want to play something a little more freestyle, but don't really want to put one guy in charge of GMing because he had no time to get ready. They're just sitting at your house. And you're like, hey, we should roll up some fighters. Do the maze under Iridrum. So what do you do? Well, this is a big question that was put to me last week. And it is a juicy one, and that is this sort of holy grail or elusive concept that there is a GM-less RPG out there, that there's an experience that's going to feel GM-less for you, but feel like all the, the fun shenanigans, surprises, and coolness of your average session. Now, obviously, this concept and this sort of striving is not new. There are a ton of board games like Gloomhaven or uh, Massive Darkness or even Zombicide, which try and in a lot of ways succeed in solving this puzzle. But there's one thing that they do not solve, which is the sort of open-ended or free-form element of your average tabletop session with your GM and your players. Now, Is it truly freeform? Not really. You know, you could say that each session that a GM preps, they're actually kind of designing a board game for the evening in a way, but with a lot of possible twists and turns that a board game could never allow. Take Zombicide, for example. Really great game that runs itself so that you and your friends can cooperate, right? The game just handles its own business. It comes for you. Here it comes. There are simple rules to determine, you know, how it's coming at you. And you just try to hack at it right but you can't really twist and turn and improvise and kind of get your mind blown by that game because it's kind of going to play out as it's going to play out now it can get really cool um but it doesn't have those things that a gm can provide that then players flip that the gm then subsequently reflips And you get these convoluted routes to story that you never would have sort of seen coming or planned in advance because they're too weird and too silly. (laughs) So you want to roll dice. You want to defeat monsters. You want to explore the wonders of a lost world. But you ain't got no GM. So what you gonna do? Well, first of all, before I go any further, I want to roll a character called Gondu. And he has a Mekwital. Anyway, I digress. So, what function is it that's so critical that the GM serves that a you feel like you're obligated to do all this prep? and more importantly for this conversation, B which is that that makes this game playable what What is it that's so critical where you say, "Hey, man, I don't think if we can play, we got no GM here. what Why is it so critical to have a GM? Well, before we can design a game that's going to run itself, that's going to be GMless so you can cooperate with your friends drink beers, roll dice, and get all the experience. We need to analyze what it is you're wanting out of your GM so we know what to replace, right? Does that make sense? So the way that I see it, the GM serves sort of five purposes. First of all, they instigate events. Now, Zombicide and Gloomhaven do this really well, right? They, they have things that are going to happen, and here they come. Okay, so it's the instigator. It's the Here's the stuff. gang. it's coming at you. Okay, that's that's relatively simple to replace. Next, we have the monster controller. Now, you can create systemic monster control, which is what Zombicide does. But this really, in a way, is irreplaceable, right? The GM controls the monsters in a reactive way, a creative way, an emotional way. They role-play the monsters. Whoa, that's not an easy one to replace. Next, we have a biggie, the story revealer. One of the funnest things about a good session is when you find out the twist or you find out what's in that next room that is not what you expect it to be. That's a really fun moment. It's a surprise that the GM has in store for you that you may or may not discover through the night that they get to sort of pop. They get to boink, check this out and you're like, oh, nice. There's a big crystal. That's why the guy is floating up in the lake. Next we have a rule moderator, very easy one to replace. All you need is cooperative players who aren't being jerks who can moderate the rules together, a lot like when you're playing Ironheart or Magic the Gathering. And finally, the game host. Now I truly believe that this is absolutely irreplaceable. Someone has to be the game host, but we're going to get to all that. Okay, we're going to we're going to talk our way through all of these. Now the first three, I think we can design a game around those three. The event indicator, the monster controller, and the story revealer. I think we can get a game design that's going to handle those. But before we go any further, I would propose that the fifth function, the last function, the game host, is the most irreplaceable part. This is providing the location, the stuff, the dice, the sheets, the food, the drinks, and everything involved in a fun-ass night of RPGs. One of the players has to serve this function. There's just no way around it. You, you have to be the energy. You have to be the, let's do this. I have a place. We got all the stuff. Go for it. Now, I know that sounds somewhat logistical, but it's a big part of RPGs, especially those of you out there who don't have the player base in your area for a, a group right now, a table group. You know the pain of this. Someone needs to have the infrastructure to host a fun session. That's got to be one of these players in our little scenario where there's no GM. And as I said, rules moderator, totally easy to replace. So that leaves us with these three key functions that a GM serves that we need to think our way through. So now that task, a game system that can keep your table like fighting evil, saying cool things in character, like forming friendships between characters, uncovering wonders that are sort of beyond their imagination and all that. We need to design a game that's going to do that. Now, most of what a GM does can be replaced with what I like to call thematic randomness. Now, what events unfold and what monsters do and how the story progresses, these can be drawn or extracted from buckets of possibility. And and these buckets of possibility are commonly called GM prep or GM planning. Right? A GM doesn't prep by just writing down a series of events and then those are what happen. I mean, if that's what's going on, then you're not even barely playing an RPG. You're writing a novel, right? But the GM doesn't also just let anything happen. At the beginning of the game, they can't say, oh, no, actually, we're not going to go to the castle. We're going to time travel to the 80s, steal a Ferrari, and like drive to Mexico. Just like, what? Okay, that's that's true sandboxing there. That's a little crazy. <laughs> So it's, it's between, you know, it's not a fixed set of things, but it's not a totally open set of things. It's a bucket of possibilities, thematic randomness. The themes aren't random, but exactly what happens has a little bit of randomness to it. Now, in my theory and what we're about to talk about, we can get this into our sort of artifact or into our system. The artifact is what I mean by maybe we need to make some things, And these things, these objects, these artifacts will help to replace these clutch functions of the GM that tend around what I call thematic randomness. The GM provides thematic randomness. The themes are provided and revealed, but exactly what happens has a slightly random, has a slightly unknown element to it. And that's what we're working to replace. Now, the artifacts are what I'm describing because they're not a person. So you're never going to get like a true replacement for a GM, but we're going to get a game that can function by making these artifacts. So let go of the comparison that we're going to totally replace a person with a set of artifacts or systems. It's never going to be quite that good, but we can still get what we want. Remember our mission statement at the very beginning. We want to roll dice, defeat monsters, and explore the wonders of a lost world, right? Now we can get really close to replacing this person. And... The key, I think, here is like designing to target. Our target is what I said, rolling dices, defeating monsters, exploring wonders. That's our target. So if we get those things to happen, it may not be as cool as like the coolest D&D session ever run, but dang it, we're going to get that target to happen. So with that target in our minds, we have something to to cut against. I don't know if you ever heard this phrase, but cutting against is, is having a very firm standard or goal and then developing ideas. And if they cut against that goal, if they add to it, if they make it happen, they're in. If they don't, or they're extra, they're superfluous, or they work against it, they're out. So we cut against this goal of rolling dice, defeating monsters together, and exploring this kind of crazy world. Now, finally, before we get into sort of the alternatives and the ideas I want to provide to get the GM-less game done, let me just give you a little piece of encouragement. Don't worry about what system you're using. Use whatever system you know best, strip it down, and stay where you're familiar before you try any of these ideas I'm going to propose. So it doesn't. no system can make a game fun. People make games fun. So no matter what your goal is with a GM-less game, just use the thing you know best because you're going to be in a sort of a hacky space, right? So knowing how to improvise, how to determine difficulty, how to build roles and interpret roles, how to make it happen, having that familiarity is going to be your friend. So just use the system you know. No, no one system is going to be better for GM-less play than any other. All right, now let's consider some options I want to just throw out to replace our sort of sorely missed GM and all of her sinister revelations that she was going to do that night, but she couldn't come, and we still want to play. Okay. GM replacement option number one. Dice and tables. So get yourself some tables. Make some tables with a bunch of cool stuff on them. Monsters, events, traps, descriptions, people, anything that would normally be in a session. Then roll on the tables when your friends are there and do it together. Interpret them into scenarios. Oh, wait a minute. You have to make the tables. Well, if you're the guy or the girl making the tables, that kind of ruins the surprise, right? Because you know what's on the tables. And you just kind of wind up playing out this semi-random series of things. Uh, I don't know. Dyson tables. If you have a bunch of pre-made tables that none of you have read which are definitely available out there in the RPG community, oh, now we have something. So if you can get yourself a supplement of all these sort of dungeon tables, and you guys know that it's a little bit about this book, maybe it's kind of cool, but you don't really know its contents. You get out your 1D100, you make some characters, you band together and you say, what do we face? And you make that first roll. You're like, oh, we're going underground. Okay, well, blah, blah, blah. And I blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, let's roll on that monster table and see what's lurking inside. Bah. Okay, oh, let's battle him, play out the battle. Then, well, what's next? Then you go back to your dungeon table. Bah, so making the tables, yeah, you kind of became the GM. So you didn't really get the replacement factor there. But if you can get the tables, and if you look on um, Drive Thru, there's a lot of cool supplements out there that are just tables for dungeon contents, for monster selection, all kinds of cool stuff. It still puts a lot of burden on your group imagination, but at least you're getting that thematic randomness fulfilled. You're getting the buckets of possibility filled by dice rolls and tables, and you're discovering sort of surprises together on these tables. And that's where a lot of the delight's going to happen. And you're also having a few beers, and every once in a while, somebody cracks a really good line while they're, you know, getting killed by a slime or something, a <laughs> yellow ooze. <laughs> Option number two, cards and card decks. Now, as a group, you decide we're going to try this gm game. Let's do this thing together. Pull together a bunch of 3 by 5 cards and write down, or even draw, if you have the time and the, and, and the patience, <laughs> a bunch of cool stuff. And let everyone have a say here. Monsters, traps, you know, events, just, just any idea. Any idea. Now, as you get a pile and the pile starts to form, separate them into maybe three piles. You can have... Traps, events, and monsters. Now make yourself a couple of super simple rules, like we always draw them in this order, event, trap, monster. Or maybe you do, instead of trap, you do room, and room could give you you know fun descriptions. Well, there's a lava pit, there's a long corridor, there's a tower, whatever. We always draw them in this order, or we roll 1d6, and that determines what deck we draw from next. Either way, this option says Take cards, make them as a group, and then put them in, you know, one to four stacks. And these stacks give you this thematic possibility, this 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 bucket of possibility, the randomness, but not totally random. A lot like the narrative dice technique, you're taking a category of card. And what's on that card, since it's in that category, it, it takes on a new context. It takes on an implication. And then it's up to you guys to run with it. Now, exactly spatially speaking, how would like enemies be laid out and how would your your heroes be laid out? Well, are you playing with minis on a board? Like, are you just playing theater of the mind? There's a lot of possibilities here. But what I'm just trying to do is only replace what that GM does, which is he sits you down, hits you with a situation adjudicates and role plays the enemy until it's resolved then hits you with another situation and on and on and on so this is the card and deck technique now be super duper specific with how the rules are for drawing cards like you always draw left to right let's say you have four stacks of cards we always draw the left one first we resolve that then we draw the right one or the next one to the right And so on and so on. The way that you are really hard with this, like that the rules are very specific about when you draw, or it's like a 1d4 and you draw from that deck, is every once in a while you want it to really be bad. (laughs) You don't want improvisation to save you every time. So let's say you go through a really tough monster encounter and then roll the monster deck again. That's a bad situation. You're not recovered. You want to roll the, you know, green pasture room card right? So that you can recover. And then, oh, we're going back. And you're linking these together into a story. So you see what I mean. Now, of course, this still belies the one big task. So is it an ideal solution? Not really. The cards need to get made. Now, making them as a group definitely makes things a little more interesting. But then a lot of that surprise is going to be removed. So is it the perfect solution? No, I, I don't think so. But it sounds like a fun night. Option number three, this I like to call the tarot method. The tarot method is where you set up categories, not decks. So the categories actually could be a sequence for your whole night. It could be the intro, the entrance, the big battle, a trap, the twist, a hero, a villain, the boss, the escape. Those could be your Your categories, okay? Now, into these categories, you're going to need, again, to place something like cards. This is what I meant by artifacts. Fundamentally speaking, these cards replace your GM. Now, maybe you have a cool tarot set laying around. Maybe you have a set of those um, crazy, um, what, deepest dungeons, I think they're called, like item and monster cards that have been in Kickstarter. Maybe you have just playing cards that have a dungeon-oriented theme on them anything to get the creative juices flowing, then what you do, you lay out all one card in each category face down. That's like your draw. That's drawing the adventure. And if any of you have ever laid out a tarot grid, this is just like it. You have categories. That's a location for a card. You draw them all out face down. And then over the course of the evening, reveal them one at a time and interpret. Here's the key word is interpret the context of why that image or that card is in that category and what it means for the group and how you're going to battle your way through it. Now, I like this one because you do that one deal. You deal it out once. With the card and deck method, you're kind of always dealing. You're always drawing. But with this method, you basically draw yourself an adventure. It's face down. It's set. And there's something cool about that. It feels kind of like if we make it to the last card, we're cool. That was a good game, right? And so I like this method better than cards and decks. The, the tarot, the grid could also represent a dungeon. It doesn't have to just be a grid or a cross like tarot. It could be a sort of a squiggly line like a dungeon. And that gives you yet more context. You're looking for thematic randomness. You're looking for buckets of possibility, remember. So where and when ideas pop in this sequence is what gives you the context to drive this engine of fun. It's like, oh man, we're late in the game and the dragon card is right here. We're all beat up. Oh crap. Or on the exact opposite side, the first card is the dragon. Oh my God, he's like guarding the entrance. We have to beat a dragon to even go in here. You see how vastly different those contexts are because you lend gravity and context to that tarot arrangement. All right. Option number 4. Now, I don't want to play this option particularly, and I'd have to say users beware on this option. But it is a thing, and I have seen it played to effect, but I just it, I don't think it's for that many people because of what it asks of the players, and this is what I like to call the story splat. Now, if any of you are familiar with the game Fiasco. Fiasco takes a few simple index cards, and you write down relationships and goals, between the player's characters. Extremely abstract and simple, situational upon any type of situation you choose, but try to control that thematic randomness so that the characters share this common goal or common anti-goal, and they have relationships that are going to be fodder for creating moments and scenarios. Then, round by round and moment by moment, turn by turn, you improvise and modify the story. That's it. Now, if you have a bunch of people who are really good at, like, improv comedy, (laughs) this game is going to be hilarious and amazing because the adaptability is completely limitless. Maybe you add a few rolls here and there to take damage from situations and stuff like that. Fiasco uses some dice to track sort of, you know, advantage and sort of good and bad as outcomes. And you can come up with these little mechanics quite simply. But I have to say, users, beware, if you don't have a fully unified group where everyone is invested in being all improvisational and wacky and verbal and outgoing, it's not going to work. There's almost no game to fill in the gaps of your enthusiasm and your creativity. And that's where a game of any kind, especially board games, sort of bridge the the moments. They They help you find your way to those funny moments or those sad moments because they're filling in the part where you don't have to do it all. But with the story splat technique, you have to do everything. You're just coming up with it off the top of your head. So I really like option three the best. I think that the tarot method is really good. It just begs this one clutch question. Where do you get these cards? And I think that's an easier question to answer then where do I find a GM for tomorrow night? <laughs> or I don't really want a GM. I just want to play with everybody. And like, well, what if we get some of these crazy cards? Like they have, you know, pictures of rooms. They have pictures of monsters. And there's a lot of opportunities and, and alternatives out there for these types of card decks. I don't even need to, to mention them to you guys because there's a lot to choose from. And I don't necessarily want to sound like I'm endorsing them or, or, or not endorsing them and leaving them out. Now, I could say that if you ignore the rules on the Ironheart cards, you can almost get this effect, but there's no real rooms on the Ironheart cards. They're all like monsters and objects. So you really want something that portrays a little bit of space, a little bit of like events and twists and turns, a little bit of monsters, and then it's up to your group to get the specifics on each situation and battle through it. So there's going to be a moment of flipping a card in the tarot arrangement, whoa, what is that and what does that mean? Then there's going to be a moment of quick agreement upon, okay, the mechanics of this are blah. And then there's going to be playing it out. And before any of that happens, before you even draw the tarot, you guys need to make characters like a normal session in your favorite system. Like whatever is your most familiar system. You're going to whip up characters just like the GM was just a little late and he's about to show up. <laughs> but instead, you're, you're all going to be cooperatively interpreting what this tarot arrangement is, and setting a kind of unspoken rule of like, if we make it through the last card in one piece, we've completed this, you could call it a dungeon, or this adventure. You could start with an easy one that's maybe four cards. Work your way up to something bigger that's more tarot-like, which is like 12. But that's my best recommendation. Is It's it's an old technique called the sort of creative whack pack. So if you, if you look this up on Amazon, um, back in the late 80s, There's this product called the Creative Whack Pack, and it's basically decks of cards with really zany imagery on them and somewhat random sort of verbal content. Now, the more that they built the Creative Whack Pack, the less random it became, and I think they actually lost some of their appeal. But in in the late 80s, this was a sort of an executive sort of seminar tool. The Creative Whack Pack is, is, you know... Asking really tough questions and then drawing a random card and just seeing what it triggers in your brain. Like, talk to me about what you're feeling as you draw that. Well, this has nothing to do with the question I asked. Well, yes, but how could it? How could it have something to do with the question you asked? That's the way that the tarot deck works. Okay, is it a coincidence that the ICRPG card volumes are really going to be a pretty good tool for this type of gameplay. No, it's not a coincidence, because this was the exact resource I was looking for when I started working on Index Card RPG. It was not only a terrain replacer, but an idea generator. And as I said in my opening piece, I think this is what you're really looking to replace in your missing GM, is the idea generator, the terrain replacer, and the creativity kick in the head. The Wait a minute. It's the second card and we drew like the the giant rat monster, but we're like outdoors. Oh my God. He's just like running around in a pasture terrorizing a village. Let's go get him. And then the next card, you know, is a giant insect. And it's like, oh, he was infested. So as we kill the rat king, like this, you know, massive insect bursts out of him like the thing. And then we're battling that and we run off Then we get the next card and it's a cave entrance. And in the cave we go and then we accidentally discover, oh, there's, whoa, there's this next card. It's this sword with a jewel on it. This must be, this could, this could work. And then we go back out and, oh man, the thing is like three times as big as it was before. And now you're like going down the rabbit hole and you're having a good night. So when you think about GM-less games, I, I think you probably have all the tools, especially if you're here listening to Runehammer, you're already a DIY RPG person. So you probably have all the tools in your toolbox to sit down. I think the hardest one to overcome is that hosting piece. It's that guys, let's do this. That to me is a tough barrier because it's an energy barrier. It's a social barrier. And it just is saying like, I don't care if anybody GMs or anything tonight. You guys just come over, just come over, bring some beer. We're going to like roll up some elves and we're going to go save the land screw it, right? It sounds a little silly and like puts you on the spot a little bit. And I think that's what makes it difficult. But if you can overcome that piece, then I think the actual mechanisms and the methods to replace your GM's thematic randomness is going to be totally within your familiar toolbox. So I hope that idea helps. And I hope that series of explorations helps about how you can maybe solve the missing GM problem. And as for me, we have confronted this several times. And that is why we sort of got interested in Zombie Side. That is why we trade places being the GM. Uh, that's why we don't have campaigns that go on for five years because that one GM just winds up completely spent for life. <laughs> so. So whether you're trying to replace a worn-out GM, nobody showed up, or you just want to play and you don't want to do all that stuff, you know, you're gonna might find yourself in this GM-less situation. So see if you can scare up the bits and try some of this stuff and report back. Let me know if any of this stuff works, and uh, let's figure it out together. And if you just can't get it to come together, well, there's always zombie side. <laughs> So once again, this is the RPG mainframe. We're musing and thinking about how to run a GM-less game. If you got other alternatives, please post them in the comments, and uh, let's let's keep Saturday night fun whether there's a GM around or not. All right, this is Hankering Fur and Ale. Keep it real out there, guys, and uh, I'll see you next time.